I wanted to talk to this morning about liberation. Jailbreak. There are no bonds that God can't break. I guess Alcatraz is probably the kind of uh, quintessential place um, that symbolizes being impenetrable or um, impossible to, to, to get out of. Prison that's um, about a mile and a half off the coast of uh, San Francisco in the, in the frigid waters of that bay on an island called Alcatraz Island. It has high cliffs and um, it was the site in 1934 to 1963 of a state, or sorry, I should say a federal penitentiary. And um, it had a nickname as The Rock and claims that uh, no one ever escaped from Alcatraz. Um, Some of the most dangerous criminals were sent there because um, they were dangerous, but also they were a problem <laughs> in the prisons that they were housed in. So they thought, well, we got to get a prison that is just um, impenetrable, invincible. And so they housed uh, the likes of Al Capone and uh, George Machine Gun Kelly and James Whitey Bulger all spent time there in Alcatraz. Uh, 36 prisoners did try to escape Alcatraz. Um, that was 14 attempts. Um, there was a ratio of three to one, uh, one guard for every three prisoners. Um, 14 attempts. Of the 36 prisoners, six were shot and killed. Two drowned trying to swim. Five disappeared, so they can't be quite sure that no one escaped Alcatraz. But 23 were caught. It was pretty secure. And when I read uh, the narrative that Luke has for us today in, in the book of Acts, I think that, that King Herod tries to do his very best to prevent a prison break on his watch. And so let's just read now from chapter 12 as we continue to proceed through the book of Acts about a supernatural prison break. It was about this time that King Herod, now that's not Herod the Great, but that would be Herod the grandson at this point. Herod's, they went through Herod's like water because uh, they, <laughs> they were always getting knocked off or dying weird deaths and stuff. Anyways, so this is the grandson now. King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Now, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put, uh, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by, now listen to this, four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. 
just this gives us some indication, I think, of how effective the Spirit is in growing the church of Jesus Christ. The Jewish um, leaders were doing everything they could to try to squash this new movement. And the rulers in Israel wanted for it to be stopped too because it was causing such turmoil within the Jewish people that they wanted it taken care of. And so Herod was trying to please the Jewish leadership by arresting and persecuting and uh, executing some of the Christians. And Peter was one of them. Let's continue in reading. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Watch out when that happens. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. This is your ancient Alcatraz going on here. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the south. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought that he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate. <laughs> Listen to this. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. And when they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people are hoping or were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked at the door, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she, she left him there and ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, oh, it's got to be his angel. He must be dead. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion. <laughs> I think that's kind of an understatement. There was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. The part I like about that story is that there's no accounting for what the prison guards are doing during all of this. It's an incredible act of God. It's a supernatural 
interaction that takes place here. It's the story of how God shows himself to be who he is. He interjects himself into what seems to be an impenetrable situation, a situation that cannot be overcome. Four squadrons of four guards each, two on one on either side, chained to Peter. And yet God overcomes that situation. And the spell of Alcatraz is demolished. I don't really want to talk a whole lot about this this morning. Other than, I think that there's some principles there's some inspiration that we can take from this story. And it has to do with our own imprisonment, our own bondage, our own incarceration. What do I mean? Well, whether we acknowledge it or not, many of us are actually held by some power that limits our freedom in Jesus Christ. It impedes our ability to live the full life that Jesus said he came to bring. He said, I, I've come to give life and, and give it to the full. And so many of us, I think, are imprisoned and need to know the liberation that only God can give. Here's some examples. You may be imprisoned by guilt. You may be imprisoned by addiction, and those addictions run the full gamut of temptation. You may be imprisoned by hatred, or anxiety, or depression, or any one of isms, legalism, for instance perfectionism. Perhaps you have a complex that you're imprisoned by. An inferiority complex, for instance. But I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ does not want us to be imprisoned by anything. Paul, in writing to the Galatians, said these words, it is for freedom that God has set us free. It seems redundant the way he says it. But like, get the point here, folks. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Stand firm then. And don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, there are no bonds that God cannot break. None. He wants us to be free. Now, when Paul was writing to the Galatians, what he was saying to them specifically about is he, he was shocked. He was like, they'd been set free from the law, but yet they were reverting and, and trying to be right with God by obeying the law and doing all the rituals of purification and going and doing all of the legal stuff. 
that Christ had satisfied and overcome and had fulfilled. And Paul's like, don't chain yourself up again, guys. You're set free. Enjoy your freedom. So, what does Peter's prison break tell us in relation to our own imprisonment? Well, there are some lessons here. The first one I think that we need to start with and we should never forget, which is so important, is that God's will is ultimate. We read in Ephesians 1, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. God does what God wants to do. And there's nobody that can stand in his way. And so he brings about his purposes. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that this is not Star Wars. This is not the empire against the Jedi's. This is not some kind of equal fight that's going on between the big bad Satan and the, and the, the holy God. The battle has been won. The war has been won. God has won. God does his will. It's over. And he will bring about his purposes. Peter's in jail. I need Peter out. I got plans for Peter. So he liberates Peter. Sets him free. The second thing that I think we need to keep in mind is this. That God's power is ultimate. Once again, Ephesians. The immeasurable greatness of his power. This is God's power. Toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this, this age, but also in the one to come. In other words, his power is ultimate. There is no greater power. Even the laws of nature, as we said earlier, do not limit or restrict God. God's power is ultimate. He overcame death. His power is ultimate. And this is the beautiful thing that we need to keep in mind next. That God's will and God's power, he wields on our behalf. <laughs> he uses his will and he uses his power for our good. His omnipotence and his all-powerfulness is brought to bear on each one of us. God uses his omnipotence for our good. We read in Romans 8, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God 
God's will is for us. His power is wielded on our behalf. His omnipotence is extended to us, and it is for our good. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute. If God is working out our good, why do bad things keep happening in my life? I mean, just look at the story you just read, Tim. What about poor James? <laughs> oh, yeah, James, just half a sentence, maybe a full sentence. In that supernatural deliverance, James didn't get a supernatural deliverance, did he? No, he probably had his head cut off. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them, and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. The story continues. That's not fair. Was James just not as good a guy as Peter? Was Peter just outstanding and stellar? Was Peter worthy? God does his will, and he wields his power for our good. So you say to yourself, how does this work, Tim? How can, how can that be good for James? How can the stuff that I'm dealing with, the, the, the chronic issues of, of relational dysfunction or financial stress or physical maladies, how, how can that be God's good for me? How can that be God's good for me? And I say to you, I don't know. And that's because I'm not God. <laughs> if I was good, if I was God, I could tell you. I could tell you very precisely why you have this, that, and the other. I could tell you if I was God, but I, I can't tell you. And that is because I am so limited compared to to an omnipotent God. You see, God did everything for us. All he requires of us is faith. He requires us to put our faith in him, to trust him. He didn't promise to make everything clear. He didn't promise to make everything seem just. He didn't promise to make everything uh, just absolutely explainable. We have to trust him. We have to trust him that even the stuff that we're dealing with is the good that he has for us. It's not because we're not worthy. It's not because we're not right with God. It's, it's not for any other reason than God knows what he's doing. 
we don't. Isaiah said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, 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 and yet people say, well, how can God be for me when my life is such a mess? We don't see things as God sees them. And he knows what's best for us. Ask James. Someday when you get to heaven, ask James. James will be able to tell you. At that point. How. His execution was the good. You see, do you understand how tough this is? Do you understand what God is calling us to? God is calling us to, in everything, despite all the evidence that we can compile, that we can put together, that we can rationalize, despite everything, he is for you. He is working out the good for you. Do you believe it? You have to believe it. Or none of this makes sense. And you're a fool to sit here when your life is falling apart. You're a fool to come here and, and sing praises to a God who isn't doing anything to help you. You have to believe that he is working on your behalf. He did everything. All you got to do is believe. Believe that he is for you, that he's working out the good for you. He's in your corner. He loves you. He's working out the best for you. That's why Solomon, I believe, wrote, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Right? That's where we get in trouble. It's got to all make sense. Sometimes it just doesn't. And God knows why, and you may never know. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. We have to trust. And so before I close, I, I want to return to this concept of bondage and God's will for us to be free. I, I want to bring this concept very close to home, to the very fact that it is inside us. And that is that God's power is realized in us. And what do I mean by that? Is it, I read in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. To me, that means that I have resident within me the power to demolish strongholds. That I can be free in spite of things that appear to be binding, imprisoning, 
God is resident in us. This is what we read in Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. God will not only set us free because he doesn't want any of us to be um, enslaved. He will not only set us free, but he will give us that good life that he has promised to us. God does not want any of us or his children to be held in bondage to anything. Now, I know this is a hard sell for some of us because you're thinking, Tim, you don't know anything about bondage. And I think actually, probably if you attended on a regular basis, you would know that I know a lot about bondage. Uh, for most of my adult life, I was, or my, I shouldn't say adult life, my young life anyway, I was held in bondage to perfectionism and legalism. And I, it was only because of the grace of God that I was able to break free from that. Some of you are saying, though, you don't understand that my situation, you don't know how hard it is, you don't know how complicated it is. This is just another one of those pious, out-of-touch sermons. It meant to extend hope, when in fact there really is no hope. Well, I, I want this to make sense. God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, and he's working out the good for you. And he doesn't want you to be bound by anything. Are you telling me, Tim, that I should not be held captive by depression? Are you telling me, Tim, that I should not be held captive or bound by this, these dysfunctional relationships that I'm in? Are you telling me that I am to be free from all of those things, those difficulties that I mentioned earlier? Well, what I'm about to tell you may come as a, a real surprise. <laughs> but I think that we need to more clearly understand what freedom is. Here's an example. When Paul asked God to free him or deliver him from the torment of what he referred to as a thorn in his flesh, Paul writes, I, I pleaded with you, God, to deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. God responded by saying, no. I'm not taking that thorn in the flesh. So does that mean that he was still bound? Does that mean he was still imprisoned by the thorn in the flesh? No. What happened was that he experienced freedom even though he still had the thorn in the flesh. You understand the difference between the freedoms? The freedom isn't taking you out of the situation, isn't changing everything, isn't taking your cancer away, 
Isn't uh, taking those dysfunctional situations and making them beautiful again? Isn't delivering you from depression even? (laughs) It is knowing freedom within the context of those things. Ask Paul. He still dealt with it. The thorn was still a thorn. It still was nasty. It still bothered him. We don't know what it was. But it was a pest to him. He pleaded, he begged that it be taken away. And God did not take it away. That doesn't mean that from then on, because he asked and God said no, that it wasn't such a big deal anymore. It was a big deal for him. He still suffered the thorn in his flesh. But he had freedom. He wasn't imprisoned by the thorn in the flesh. He wasn't bound by the thorn in the flesh. He wasn't in bondage to the thorn in the flesh. He said, this gives me a daily opportunity to experience the grace of God. I can be free even though I'm experiencing this stuff. Now, put that in your situation. You might not be delivered from that relationship that you're in that you should not get out of and you should not Um, try to get free of. But you can be free within that dysfunctional relationship. Do you believe that? You can have depression. I have depression, folks. (laughs) It's just, it's what I do. I mean, it's it's how I am. I'm wired that way. But... But I have freedom within my depression. I am not bound by by my depression. Because by the grace of God, he's taught me some things. He's helped me in different ways that I can cope with my depression and I can have freedom. So, yeah, I still have it, but I'm not bound by it. I have victory over it. I think I've told you before of a family friend, Pauline Hermanson, at MS. Ever since I knew her, she was incapacitated. And people would say, Pauline, do we want do you want to be do you want us to pray for your healing? She said, Why would you do that? I've been healed. But you're still in the wheelchair, Pauline. You still have MS. Oh, I'm free. Did you get it? Joni Erickson. She in bondage. Joni is the one that Johnny Erickson, who as a young teen jumped in off a diving board and was paralyzed from the neck down. I think Johnny Erickson, who now is a world famous speaker, author, artist, who says that she's so glad she was paralyzed because her life would not be the same. Do you think she's bound by her paralysis? No. You see, the promise is not always, and sometimes it is. Sometimes it is healing. Sometimes it is deliverance from depression. Sometimes it is uh, God intercedes in the dysfunction of the situation and, and makes it all right. But that that's not always the case, and in my estimation, doesn't happen a whole lot. But that does not negate the fact that Jesus wants you to be free. 
and that the circumstances don't determine your freedom. Your freedom is determined by how much access and how much you avail the Spirit of God in your life. And you get through it. You don't just get through it. You actually soar. (laughs) You soar through it. You all know people like this, right? You could all tell me of people who have had it so hard, and yet they're free because of Christ and what Christ has done in them. And so, Peter was set free in a miraculous way, a supernatural way. It speaks of God's omnipotence, it speaks of his power, and it speaks of the fact that God is for him. He worked on his behalf, he brought his omnipotence and his power to bear and delivered him. But guess what? God was for James. God was still omnipotent in James's case. He was still all-powerful in James's case. You don't need to understand it. You need to have faith. And you need to experience the freedom that Christ has for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you're amazing. (laughs) You are wonderful. You are beyond our imagination. And we are so grateful that our God is beyond us and our machinations of what we can understand. And so, Lord, I thank you that you are the bondage breaker, that you bring freedom. And you can bring freedom in the midst of the stuff that for others would be bound by those things. You can bring freedom. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a free people and that we would be harbingers. We would be ambassadors for the freedom that comes in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.